Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the International Outreach Church Partnership Evangelism. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about how you can help us reach lost people around the world by raising up evangelists in every place. Or go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho. Now to God's Word. Psalm 73 is the honest account of an honest man who is about to fall into a grave sin, but he doesn't. He just only almost falls. Today, we continue to consider how to almost fall, a far better outcome than to fall altogether. If you're on the edge of failure, or giving into temptation, or giving up on being faithful, here is a message for you on how to catch yourself before you do. When that happens, anger takes over. Self-pity begins to take control. Doubt begins to insinuate itself over everything, a cynicism about everything, all the things that you've thought All your ideas cynically take on a new light. The enemy's pouring in upon you. A host of compromising thoughts and compromising emotions are assaulting you. And praise and confidence and trust for a moment, at least for a moment, sometimes for a protracted period of time, are driven back out of our reach. What do we do then? That's the point. It's It's a very dangerous point in your life. That's the point at which you almost fall. You're right there. What do you do when you're at the point where you're going to almost fall? What do you do in a time like that? That's where the psalmist takes us at the very beginning of this psalm. He says, now I got to this point of praise. And he lets us know that at the very beginning of the psalm. But he says, that's not where I was. I was at the point of almost falling. Let's for a moment just kind of consider this man in the psalm and his story. And I'm not saying this so that you can say, well, I've experienced exactly that same thing. I'm just saying he was in a situation where everything that was happening to him was dictating a different conclusion than the conclusion that he needed to make in order not to fall into sin. He's a man who's committed himself to living life the right way. He's made it his personal commitment to conduct his life in a way that conforms to the will of God. And to the best of his knowledge, he's doing the things that God would have him do. It doesn't appear that he's doing it simply to get blessing in his life or benefit in his life. It's not some, you know, just fleshly attempt to get a payoff by doing good deeds. This is not an act of people who follow or go to their temple or go before the various gods to pray because they want prosperity or they want good luck. This is a man who is principled to the core. He does it simply because it's the right thing to do. He wants to please God. It's the rhythm of his life. He strives to do the right thing and to be holy in his interactions before God and before others. Maybe he's doing this because he understands that God is a moral God. And God is the creator of all things, and that when God created the world, he didn't just establish a series of physical laws to rule the world, but God created a series of moral laws that govern his universe as well. And he understands that if you live your life defying those moral laws, it'll come back at you. That if you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the hurricane, the whirlwind. And so in his life, he decides to sow the seeds of integrity and righteousness, seeking to reap a harvest of righteousness and benefit and blessing. That's what he's calculating here, maybe. That would actually be a wise thing to do. The Bible extols us, encourages us all the time. And yet, although he is sowing a good life of righteousness, he is instead, he is not reaping the blessing that should seem to follow in a moral universe. 
He's sowing seeds of righteousness, but he still seems to be reaping the hurricane. At every step and along the way, he wakes up every morning to trials and difficulties. His life seems to be plagued. He says he actually wakes every day to chastisement, punishment. It's as if God had suspended the moral laws that govern his world and withheld the benefits that should be expected to come for not offending the law, and instead the reverse was occurring. The whirlwind was blowing in his life. He was reaping the hurricane. Added to that, if that were not enough, he's aware of evil men who mock God and boast in their own abilities, who violate God's laws and violate God's people as well, and yet they seem to be catching all of the breaks. They're living on easy street. They're amassing success stories. They seem to have very little difficulty in life. They're getting fat off the land. They even seem to die in a state of peace. The moral laws of the universe that should be working against them seem to be working in reverse as well. And these two observations from the psalmist begins to plot through his mind a thought, a process, ideas. And the thought is shaping and forming in this way. God is not fair. God is not just. He's not behaving justly or rightly. I've been wasting my time trying to do the right thing and live in the right way. Those are the thoughts that are passing through his mind. And so far, this doesn't seem, at least to him, an unreasonable conclusion. In fact, it hurts his brain to think any other way because it's how everything seems to be adding up. And actually, what he's saying is an honest, in a sense, description of what he's experiencing because it looks just that way. Now, we could say that his problem is that he can't see very far, right? He's only seeing a limited view just of what's happening around the radius of his life. But that's where he's at. And he's thinking it as he sees it. And so far, this is what's spinning away in his thoughts as he processes his experience. And let me just say here, at this moment in time, he hasn't yet sinned. This isn't necessarily sin. He's only processing what he's experiencing and asking the kinds of questions any person with a brain would ask in the midst of their difficulties and trials and drawing, in a sense, ideas, drawing possible statements of explanation for it as far as his brain will let him go. He is perplexed, but his perplexity is not a sin. Being perplexed, being confused, feeling those things are happening that contradict what you expect should happen and how God should behave if you were living in a just world with a just God is not necessarily sin. Actually, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says this, We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're perplexed, but not in despair. It's understandable that you are perplexed by the seeming contradictions experienced in life, but the problem is that this man is about ready to fall into despair. It's not that he's just perplexed, but he's ready to fall into despair. And it's at the moment of despairing that he will give himself over to thoughts and ideas and proclamations that will produce in his life something harmful and in the lives of others something harmful as well. But right now, in the midst of processing all of this, the thought that's kind of formulating in his mind is that God is not just and it's not worth it to do the right thing. That's his temptation. All right? Giving all that down, let me just give you the second point of the message here. Let's understand from all that we've said so far where it is that we fall in sin. Let's understand 
from what we've looked at so far, where it is that we as individuals fall into sin. And what we find is we fall when we pronounce or we speak a faithless declaration. We fall when we say the wrong thing. It's one thing to think something. It's one thing to process your ideas towards or away from certain dark and faithless conclusions. It's another thing to frame those thoughts and those conclusions into words and pronouncements and things that you say and declare clearly. To speak them in a sense as proclamations. Let me explain this to you. The power of ideas come when they are drawn up into clear declarations. The power of ideas come when you take these ideas and you formulate them and you make a declaration out of them. This is true in a positive way and this is also true in a negative way. You can take an individual who searches and investigates the claims of Christ. They evaluate the real needs of their life and the real needs of humanity and their community and the existential search that they're on. And through all of this, looking at the claims of Christ, they come to a conclusion that Jesus Christ was God's Son who came to die for our sins and that He was the Savior and that His answer is the answer that He needs and all men need. He's made this recognition. But having processed and done all that, these ideas are not brought into power in His life until He professes them, until He states them. It's not enough for him to reason them out and lay them out before them. At some point in time, they have to become his declaration for it to be a statement of faith. You state them to yourself. You state them to God. You state them to the spirits that are around you because we're surrounded by spirits and you proclaim them to your own heart and so you claim them as true and that becomes your statement of faith. Look at Romans chapter 10 verses 8 through 10. Romans chapter 10 verses 8 through 10. Paul says this, The word of salvation is what he's referring to here. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Faith is not a thought. It's not a process. It's not a series of analysis that you tread through your mind, uh, considerations that you turn in your hand and think about. It's a declaration. It's an espousal. It's a verbal commitment of the mind and mouth and heart saying a thing as a conclusion. What you may think, what you may suspect, what you may be inclined towards isn't obtained until you put it into a word and you declare it. And at that point, it becomes your faith. Now, that's the positive way to look at words. Ideas forming the words. But that same thing works not only positively towards faith, but it also works negatively towards faithlessness. The Bible actually says in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, that whatever is not of faith is sin. Sin is approached when thoughts and questions and impulses that are counter to God's truth and God's word and God's revelation turn to words in our heads and our hearts that we declare with our lips. We speak a thing, and what may have been a dark thought of temptation becomes a living and destructive sin. What may have been some suggestion and whisper that the enemy put in our mind now is spoken out as a declaration, a declaration that creates a faithless act, which is sin. Listen to this. We move into faith with words, and we move away from faith with words as well. We fall at the point where we make our pronouncements. That's where we fall. 
A man gives in to a certain sin, and as he does, there are words that frame around his action as he says to himself something like this. What does it really matter? It doesn't really matter. I can do this. It's not that big a deal. There's his pronouncement. He says, I want this. Really, in this moment, this is what I want. This defines me in this moment. I'm going to pursue it. And that's his pronouncement. He says things like, I'm not hurting anybody else but myself. That's his pronouncement. He says to himself, if you knew what I've been going through and all the difficulties I've had today, I deserve this. And that's his pronouncement. Whatever it is. There are any multiple ways in which our mental difficulties with trials and temptations can come to the point at which we phrase a faithless statement and it's the statement that gives ground to the sin. That's how it works. That's how it always works. So here we come to the third point of the message. Here's how you do not fall when you're about to. Here's where you catch yourself when thoughts are driving you to declare certain conclusions that will produce compromise and sin in a faithless act. Listen to me really carefully. I'm not going to give you some great truth. I'm not going to give you the great turns so that you can rise out of that temptation and sail to the place of giving God praise and glory, which is where the psalmist is at at the end of this psalm and where he starts at. But I'm going to give you how he caught himself from falling, how he began to turn himself, the minimum point. Now, this is not a really bold thing. This is not a really wonderful thing. I'm just telling the bare minimum of what you've got to do not to fall is this. You do not say the words. Thanks for being a part of our broadcast today at the Bread of Life. For links to this and other broadcasts, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.